Hello and welcome to Crossview Radio, weekly podcast for Wayne County. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We exist to glorify God by exalting Christ and magnifying the gospel for the joy of all nations. So uh, today what I'd like to do is I would like to do this podcast as a response to some questions that we had on a previous podcast. Um, it may be helpful to go back and listen to episode 39, where Hans and I talked a little bit about the genesis of Crossview Church. And one of the things that I did mention when we first started doing this podcast is my hope that it would be uh, a two-way street. And uh, I'm going to read you uh, some questions that we received and kind of respond to them here. And hopefully, uh, you'll find that helpful. So uh, just to sum up real briefly... In that episode, uh, episode 39, we discussed the beginning of the church, some of the reasons why we felt it was necessary to begin a church, uh, and then this kind of generated some questions about uh, a more detailed account, who we are, what we stand for, those kind of things. So uh, I'm just going to address three questions that we received, and uh, the first one is this. Uh, This listener says, um, he says, I wasn't convinced that you answered the question of why another church in Wayne County, and specifically Orville. Uh, you said something to the effect that none of the other churches uh, that you visited were really presenting the gospel, and so uh, they felt that they would build a church that did, but isn't that the reason for every new church startup? Doesn't every church believe that they need to present the gospel in a Christocentric way differently from the other churches, and is that what makes them unique? I would like to hear a little bit more about how Crossview's vision is different. So that's a good question. Um, our podcast was kind of designed to be a little bit of an overview podcast last time, some of the main things that happened when we started the church. And so uh, this will give me an opportunity to share uh, just a few of the distinctives of Crossview Church. Um, One of the things I will remind us of is that uh, when Hans and I did that podcast, we said uh, several times that we don't believe that we have uh, the corner on the truth, but truth is important. And uh, certainly, I think probably most churches uh, think that they're the ones doing it right and the others are wrong, so we've got to weigh the evidence, you know, uh, for or against those claims. Um, so let's just talk about the distinctives of Crossview Church, uh, and maybe that'll be helpful. So uh, the first one is that we believe and adhere to a reform soteriology. What that means is that we affirm the sovereignty of God in the entire salvation process, beginning with divine election. Um, Now, contrast that with the most, not all, most of the influence in this part of the nation, especially as you go a little bit further south here, where you have more of an Arminian flavor. Um, Basically, what we're talking about when we talk about this Reformed soteriology is the integrity of the gospel, the prominence of the gospel in all that we do. We want to be a gospel-saturated church. Now, I'm not going to give an entire defense of each of these distinctives, but I just do want to share a few thoughts under each one. So, your theology in this area, talking about Reformed soteriology or your doctrine of salvation, your theology is going to reach further than you think, or further than we think. Uh, there are really two streams, and one stream begins with high views of God, and it impacts my theology and my living, and the other stream begins with high views of man and impacts my theology and my living. 
a rejection of the doctrines of grace leads to high views of self and low views of God. One verse in particular that comes to mind is Isaiah 2.11. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And so you've got in this Isaiah passage and numerous other texts in Scripture as well, uh, where God is at work humbling man and exalting himself. And that's the theme throughout all of Scripture, or one of the themes throughout all of Scripture. And that's one of the reasons why uh, we adhere to a Reformed soteriology, because uh, it does that. Uh, it's biblical, uh, but it does that. It, it, it humbles man and exalts God. Romans 9 is probably the premier text on this issue. Um, so the first thing that rejecting a Reformed soteriology or Reformed doctrine of salvation does is that it devalues God and elevates man. But it also has practical implications. If salvation is a joint effort between God and man, if that's true, then we must get as creative as possible in order to manipulate responses out of people. We reject the seeker-sensitive model because of a prior commitment to theology, namely the theology in Romans 3 where we're told that nobody seeks God. God is the the only true seeker. And so... Uh, this is, it's not, there's not always a one-to-one correspondence here because people are cons- are inconsistent. However, uh, typically uh, a more uh, Arminian perspective is going to lead to more of a seeker-sensitive model and more of a uh, reform perspective is going to lead to uh, more of a simple trust in letting the word and the gospel do the work of regeneration. Uh, Typically, that's the case. And again, people can be inconsistent. Uh, We recognize that. Um, So your theology determines a lot about uh, what you believe has power to convert a soul. Um, If you are going to have more of a man-centered approach, then you're going to implement man-centered tactics to convince people to be saved. And if you come from more of a doctrines of grace perspective, you're going to be more inclined to just trust the simplicity of the gospel in the Bible to convert a soul. And I'm convinced that one uh, is more biblical than the other. So that's the first one. Second distinctive here, uh, and these are not in any particular order. Uh, second distinctive here is, is expository preaching. Uh, the best defense of expository preaching that I've heard says this, God knows what we need better than we do. Uh, preaching is a recognition of another truth, namely that Scripture is authoritative. So expository preaching is a response to a high view of Scripture. Uh, anytime you abandon expository preaching, you are automatically substituting it with something else, namely the thoughts and opinions of men. Uh, by the way, and that's more of uh, an Armenian perspective, um, honestly. So... Um, what do you trust to generate change in a person? Is it the word or is it the creativity of men? Uh, a regular diet of topical preaching is unhealthy because it gives the preacher the ability to pick and choose topics that he wants rather than allowing God to dictate what people hear. If you preach topically, you can avoid difficult topics almost indefinitely because you're never forced to get to them. And by the way, that's robbing God's people. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm convinced of this. Uh, pastors who never preach expositorily, pastors who 
regularly, continually preach topical messages are robbing God's people of the truth of the Word of God and withholding it from them. 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And that really, honestly, is the state of the church today. Uh, churches are simply um, broad brushstroke here, okay? Churches are oftentimes just preaching to what the people want to hear. Not all, but uh, but many. We're told theology is too boring, theology divides, so the church becomes a competition for who can give the most creative and gripping stories during the preaching time. Creativity in theology is not a good thing. Here's my admonition. Run away from any church that doesn't give you the word. Now, along with this idea of expository preaching, we believe it's crucial to preach in a Christocentric way. There are Uh, A number of different definitions as to what this means. Uh, If you want to understand more about that, I did a podcast. In fact, I did two podcasts on this very subject, episodes 11 and 12, uh, so you can learn more there. Basically, what we're saying is that we preach the Bible within its context. Uh, So when we preach the Old Testament, we preach it in the context of the New Testament, how it looks forward to the coming of Christ. We also preach the New Testament in light of the Old Testament promises. There are two errors to avoid in this area. Everybody, I mean, this is a buzzword today. Everyone wants to be Christocentric. Um, one error in this whole uh, area is uh, is antinomianism, and the other is legalism. And both of them have a distorted view of grace. Basically, uh, antinomianism concludes that since Jesus came, the law is unimportant. It's all about uh, grace, and there's no need for obedience or holiness. Um, it is all about grace, but I'll explain that in a second. Romans 6, verses 1 through 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Uh, it is not Christocentric to be careless about holiness. That's not like Christ. According to Titus 2, grace teaches us to live holy lives. And so, grace and holiness are not incompatible. They're not opposed to one another. Grace and holiness can go together. Sometimes they're viewed as uh, opposites, which is not at all the case. Uh, The other error is legalism, and that's a view which says we need to earn our way to God by our works, but that fails to understand God's grace too. Uh, It's important to note as well that we're not trying to do a balancing act between legalism and antinomianism. God is opposed to both. So we don't fix antinomianism, which is this casting off of the law, by being a little bit more legalistic. Oh, you just got to be more legalistic to fix that antinomianism. No, we don't fight legalism by being more antinomian. Oh, you're too legalistic. You need to be more antinomian. Uh, Both of those two false views are opposed to grace. And a proper view of grace teaches me that I can uh, value the fact that Jesus's righteousness is given to me and it's not my own, and I can also value a rigorous pursuit of, of holiness, and that can be completely compatible. In fact, it's supposed to be completely compatible. Next uh, distinctive here uh, is going to be young earth creationism. Um, now, one of the... Um, I want to note a common thread in these things. The common thread is not 
well, let me say it this way. The common thread in all these distinctives is a pre-commitment that we have to the authority of Scripture. Uh, Young Earth creationism is a biblical authority issue. It's a commitment to the reliability of Scripture from the very first verse. Genesis 1 through 11, and particularly Genesis 1 through 3, is foundational material in understanding origins. Uh, Old Earth evolutionary views assault the authority of the Bible by reinterpreting the plain meaning of Scripture. And so what we want to do in these areas is we want to get down to uh, and value the authority, the sufficiency of Scripture. Uh, let me list off just a few more. I'm not going to dive into detail on these, but just a few more distinctives of Crossview Church. Uh, Newthetic counseling versus secular psychology. Uh, we've done some counseling podcasts as well that you can go back and listen to. So we would affirm the sufficiency of Scripture in counseling and uh, that we don't need uh, secular psychology to, uh, to teach us those things. Uh, we reject um, higher criticism. Uh, we accept miracles. We embrace a historical, grammatical hermeneutic. Um, we uh, might say a natural understanding of Scripture. Uh, we're not uh, trying to be um, reading into Scripture. We're just accepting what it says at face value. Uh, a rejection of replacement theology. Uh, the church does not replace Israel. That goes with this historical grammatical, uh, grammatical hermeneutic uh, where we uh, want to be consistent in, uh, in our understanding of Scripture. And then uh, a rejection of pragmatism. The end does not justify the means. Uh, by the way, we are taking the most unpopular positions on almost every issue. Uh, why is this so unpopular? Because it elevates God and humbles man. Isaiah 2.11, we already saw this, The haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Uh, chances are that uh, anytime you come up with a theology that... Um, does something to elevate mankind and to bring down God, it's wrong. In fact, more than chances are, it is wrong. Um, and so when we understand that, when we understand that um, Scripture continually elevates God, humbles man, it begins to help us as we try to determine what, where should we be theologically, uh, how do we come to these conclusions, don't import your own views on it. Don't be uh, eisegesis. Uh, don't engage in eisegesis. Engage in exegesis, which is taking out from Scripture what it says instead of importing to Scripture what you want it to say. Uh, no doubt there will be some, perhaps, that listen to this and they say, well, John, wh why even make all of those distinctions? Theology just divides. And as uh, one of my favorite preachers, John MacArthur, would say, uh, yes, theology does divide. It divides truth from error. We don't reject theology just because it divides. Uh, if it's truth, it's truth. Now, I do want to clarify one thing, okay? Are there churches who do not share these distinctives where the gospel is preached? Absolutely. I don't question that for a moment, but here's, here's the problem. Let's take young earth creationism for a moment. If you embrace some variety of theistic evolution— what you're doing practically is calling into question the authority of Genesis 1 through 3. So you're accepting the authority of the Bible on spiritual matters, but rejecting it on scientific matters. 
while you may believe in Christ, the next generation is going to see that inconsistency and say, well, if the history is false, why isn't the spiritual stuff false? And so um, the reason that we can say that there are churches who may not hold to these distinctives and yet still have the gospel being preached is because of an inconsistency that's going on. And so uh, we can we can celebrate that because of God's common grace, he has allowed uh, truth to be found in some of the most uh, obscure places that we would not expect it to be. Um, what is important about these distinctives that we've uh, talked about here is it's important because they uphold the authority of Scripture. We're basically calling for consistency across the board. Either the Bible is the Word of God or it's not. And if it's the Word of God, then let's treat it like the Word of God and believe it, even if it's goes against the grain of, of what we like. Uh, some of the conversations that I've had in people who disagree with some of these distinctives are more autobiographical arguments than biographical arguments. In other words, these arguments tell me more about what people like and don't like rather than what the Bible says. And so we've got to determine what our authority is. Is our authority ourselves or is our authority scripture? Um, all this to say that uh, we didn't come to Orville thinking, oh, nobody preaches the gospel, nobody knows the truth, we're the only ones. Uh, at the same time, churches which are not consistent on the authority of Scripture will over time turn into entertainment centers rather than rescue operation. That's just happened over and over and over and over again. There are churches with whom I fellowship with in, in this area here. Um, I'm grateful for them. Uh, we also can't pretend that every single church in America is on the same team. Some have very clearly rejected the truth of Scripture, very, very clearly. Um, we want to be committed to the truth. Uh, we do a disservice to the truth if we pretend that we're all headed in the same direction, every church in America. Every church in America is not headed in the same direction. I went to the Answers for Pastors conference this last week, put on by Answers in Genesis, and one of the statistics they shared was that 56% of the generation born before 1928 regularly attends church, while 18% of millennials regularly attend church. There is a huge problem in the younger generations. One of the reasons that this is happening is because our generation believes that science has disproved the Bible. So when you let in millions of years or whatever assault on the integrity of the Bible, the next generation will get the message loud and clear and say, oh, well, if that's disprove this, then why believe the rest of it? Okay, that's my attempt to answer that question. I hope that's helpful um, and, uh, and beneficial to everyone. I'm going to read the second question here, and uh, there's actually three questions. I'm going to hopefully zoom through these a little bit more quickly. Uh, question number two, uh, this listener says, both uh, of you talked about the sovereignty of God, especially when things aren't going well. Sovereignty is a word that is uh, sometimes misused, so I'm wondering how you all define it, and perhaps here are some examples of how it looked in the early days. Okay, so just uh, from a biblical perspective, sovereignty of God, Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens, he does all that he pleases. That's really it. Uh, God does all that he pleases. That's his sovereignty. There are no rogue molecule molecules in the universe. God is in control of everything. He doesn't sin, but he uses sin sinlessly. And that's why David can say in Genesis 50 verse 20, 
you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So uh, someone could mean something for evil. God not participating in that evil action is able to use that evil action to bring about a good end. Uh, We already talked about God's sovereignty and salvation. Uh, We also would reject the idea of open theism, which says that God doesn't know the future. Uh, God is in control, by the way, of hurricanes and natural disasters and all those things. Amos 3.6. Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Rhetorical question. Um, I know that this is sometimes troubling to people, but again, we have to come back to, is my understanding of the Bible going to be autobiographical or is it going to be biographical? Am I reading and accepting what it says, or am I importing my views on it? The reason that this is encouraging, that God is sovereign over um, natural disasters, is because we know that things don't happen outside of God's control. He is able to use disasters for His glory and our good. And so we can rest in that and not be uh, experiencing anxiety and fear and frustration because we know that God's God's got it. It's, as we've talked about here before, a theology of sleep. God's sovereignty is what lets me sleep uh, on my pillow at night. If God brings a disaster into my life, then uh, I'll trust that he knows what he's doing with that. As far as uh, the next part of your second question here, uh, as far as what this looked like in the early days of the church plant, we could cite every single event that happened as falling under the sovereignty of God. I'll share one of them. Um, I, I put my two weeks notice in the moment we knew we were coming up to Orville, and I had no idea, two things, where we were going to live, and secondly, how we were going to provide an income for our family. And uh, we actually, there was a, a guy at our church there uh, in Greenville. He told me that uh, he had a, a sister that lived in Worcester, who rents out her apartment, and we immediately had a place to stay there, and then uh, we immediately had income provided for us, so we never had to work uh, outside of uh, the church, and that's been uh, up until today. You know, we we still, uh, I still am able to work full-time in the church, so uh, I just attribute that to God's sovereignty um, and Him working out all the details there. All right, uh, one last question here. Um And uh, we'll read this one and answer it and then wrap it up. Finally, he says, both of you a couple of times in the podcast talked about how Crossview doesn't have a corner on the truth. And it's good to see that this is not an assumption. However, John, I think you said it was important to understand that you are not saying that truth is not important. Then you did say that it was important to protect from heresy. Could you say a little more about what you mean when you talk about heresy? and what you actually do to protect against it. So uh, heresy is a basically deviant teaching, uh, teaching that veers away from the truth of God's word. And there are two ways of protecting the church against heresy, uh, formative and corrective. Formative involves everything that we've talked about today up to this point. It involves regular exposition of the word so people can discern truth from error. Uh, This, by the way, is another plug for expository preaching. Churches that reject expository preaching create an environment ripe for heresy. Uh, Anything can go. Every wind of doctrine is able to fly around in a church when you reject expository preaching. 
so there's this formative aspect where it's just teaching, um, it's discipleship, it's studying the Bible together. There also is a corrective form, which means that we confront it when we see it. So uh, we call out people who are teaching heresy, we hold them accountable to the truth. Sometimes uh, we do this um, not of anyone necessarily in our church, but just we call out names in our culture. So to give you an example, I've talked on this podcast before about Andy Stanley and some of the attacks that he has um, leveled against the authority of the scripture recently. And so that's one way to um, be uh, instructing people uh, correctively about uh, heresy. And then when we see it uh, in the church, we also um, call people out on that as well. So, all right, I think that's all I have for you today. So thanks so much for, uh, for being here. Thanks for listening to Crossview Radio. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We meet Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Orville YMCA. To find out more about Crossview Church, visit us online at crossvieworville.com.